You're listening to the Women of Color and Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Amber Rose West. Thank you so much for joining me. On the show, I interview women of color, especially black women, in the discussion about how they create self-confidence in the United States, a country that typically has erased the voice of black women. We are highly stereotyped, often silenced, our presence disregarded from the conversation. On Women of Color and Confidence, we will talk about the complexities of being a black woman in America. You will hear from women from different cultural backgrounds and various career industries with their personal stories of becoming a strong black woman while sometimes being the only black woman in the room. How do these women gain and maintain their self-confidence? Follow these weekly episodes and find out. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy this week's episode. of Color and Confidence. I am your host, Amber Rose West, and today I am joined by Courtney Fullwood. Um, she works in on oncology rehab and is currently studying, is it com- behavioral, community and behavioral health? Yes, global, global community and behavioral health. Global community and behavioral health. Awesome. Getting her uh, master's degree in that. And I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for helping uh, me work through my tech issues today. (laughs) No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Amber. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I kind of wanted to talk about the the two different aspects today. Of course, um, you know, the importance of having uh, more representation of healthy Black people uh, in our vision and in our world. But I want to really start with you. So uh, I'd love to have you take a moment to introduce yourself uh, so that everyone can get to know you. And then we'll talk a little bit about how it is that you maintain your personal health. Of course. So my name is Courtney, as you all know, and I work in oncology rehab. So currently it's sort of a rehabilitation center that's geared towards not just cancer patients, but patients going through vertigo or fatigue from chemotoxins of radiation or chemotherapy. Um, I register patients in five different clinics, so it's kind of a hassle, but I love it because I'm getting to learn different cancers that I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently getting my master's in global community behavioral health at CU Anschutz Medical Campus. And I thoroughly am excited to be on here today because what a topic to talk about right now for healthy Black people in our Black community and uplifting not just today's generations, but furthermore into our future. Yes, absolutely. And it's so important now as um, our kids are really watching us, they're watching the movement, they're watching what's going on, that we do have that healthy representation. I'm so excited to talk with you about this today. Um, So I want to start, of course, the show is called Women of Color and Confidence. So can we just start with how it is that you maintain your personal self-confidence? Yes, of course. Absolutely. So I do a lot of meditation and breathing techniques because of course we have bad days. Of course we have up and down moods and shifts and this change in the weather and everything. But I will say I do read a lot of positive affirmations and tell myself them in the mirror in the mornings or when I'm heading to work. I listen to podcasts of other women uplifting each other and how that works and even podcasts really with black women telling us every day how great we are, how wonderful we are and how blessed we are to be alive and have another day on this earth. Yes, I love that. I love that message. I am also a big breather. I have learned 
the gift of breath and I like, I preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. Yes. You know, I know when I was younger, I learned the, uh, the one, two, three rule. If you're having, if you're overwhelmed, you're feeling angry, you sit down, you take three breaths, one, two, three. Yes. Um, and it's been interesting using a breathing practice kind of proactively, right? Like using it to prepare yourself and then also being able to use it on the back end. That's so beautiful. Um, who, do, can, can you tell us a little bit about the women that you follow who, um, like the, you said, you listen to podcasts, podcasts of black women yes. who are also putting out positive vibes. Yes. So I actually listened to a woman and before I had encountered you, I've been now listening to yours as well. So great one. Yeah, but you. before that I was listening to goddess confessions and I still listen to her. Her name is Shanika Adams. And um, she actually has a podcast of affirmations dedicated specifically to black women. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to that one at least. It's only like six minutes, 10 minutes, nothing, nothing long. I know we have daily lives are busy. Yeah. So, but she even says, you know, I am a strong black woman. I am blessed. I am God's creation. And, and when we say that it makes me feel valued and important because sometimes we do lose that. We don't feel as if we are God's creation because how we are being treated currently. And mm -hmm. we all see this. We're not, I hope we're not blind, but if you are, things are happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, <laughs> yep. you know, so for those out there, things are happening and, you know, it really is nice to be uplifted and motivated and see someone else, a, a woman of color believes in us and stands with us because at the end of the day, we are united. We are a team. When one black woman or one black person falls, guess what? We all fall too. Yes. And I really enjoy this message of sisterhood compared to some of the messages that I grew up with, which was a lot of fighting, especially over men, a lot of feeling like two queens can't be in the same room together. And there has been such a beautiful mental and emotional shift that has happened um, since I've been an adult. And I've been so grateful that me that message is beginning to resonate throughout our community. Yes. It's important. It's important. And it's going to be forever be important from today, tomorrow, years from now. Mm -hmm. Sisterhood is important. And if one queen's crown is crooked, guess what? You help her and you fix her crown. Mm -hmm. Don't tell her her crown is crooked and stomp on it. No. <laughs> right. That doesn't really help. That defeats the purpose. <laughs> right. So how do you manage? Um, I love the idea of affirmations. I do think that affirmations are very proactive and they can be very ener energetically uplifting, mentally, emotionally uplifting. When you have pieces of negative self-talk that to enter into your head, how do you um, manage those negative self-talk, that, that self negative self-talk and um, no, of course. something positive for yourself? So when I am having moments, of course, grad school is challenging. So I have those negative self-talks a little bit too much sometimes. But mm -hmm. I will say, Courtney, you are smart. You are this class. This class is not you. Take a moment and breathe. Or even when I'm in traffic in Colorado here in Denver, Courtney, breathe. You are in a stable car. You are heading to your destination. You will get there. You will be safe. You are in the abundance of, you know, of God and of his creation of his earth, because sometimes we get so upset if somebody cuts us off or, you know, we have a bad day in class or you know, just among other things, you know, you see other people hurting and you want to be able to try and help. And sometimes you can't really help them, but you can make sure that your mental health is somewhat stable. 
And um, I truly believe in just mental health. I really hone in on that. That's so wonderful. I follow a woman uh, on Instagram and you know, actually her name is blanking from my brain at the moment, but I remember this stuck with me from earlier in the year. I remember it was closer to the beginning of the year. She sent me, she posted something that said, um, do you know how I went from being broke and working a job that didn't pay me enough to being a six figure earner this year? I started focusing on everything that I do have instead of focusing on everything I don't have. And as I was, yeah, as I was reading through her post, she started, you know, she was saying, there's so many other like online entrepreneurs that have, you know, a marketing team or a sales team or these beautiful websites and, you know, all these tools at their disposal that I don't have. So I'm I'm never going to be able to do that. And the second she made that switch into just realizing that she had a website, she knows how to use her, her computer. If anything, she has a Facebook at least. She has people that follow her. She knows how to write. She can post up on Instagram, you know? So it's about using what you have and, and, and not just being grateful for it, but acknowledging that like, that is something that is in your, it's in your purse, it's in your toolbox. Yes. And knowing that whatever it is that you need in your journey along the way will come to you when you need it. But right now you're good, you're healthy, you have what you need. So that's so beautiful. And I love that message so much. How was that something, how was that a practice that came into your life? Was it something that you had always done or was there a point where you realized that you wanted to make that mental? Kind of shift my mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it didn't come naturally and it didn't come overnight. I actually was just really unhappy with the, how negative I thought everything that I thought negative, it came, it came true. Mm -hmm. And I was tired of thinking that I was like, Courtney, you need to shift your mindset because if you're not happy within your life, nobody in it's going to make you happy. You're going to still be upset, still be miserable. And I always kept saying in my, in my head, I always kept saying, it's a race. It's a race. I have to get there. I have to get there. I have to get there. (laughs) And it's not about getting there because at the end of the day, my marathon or my tribulations, my struggles are different to the next person next to me. And I have to remind myself not to compare myself to other people, which is, social media does that to you. You want to compare yourself to the model girl on, you know, getting all the followers and all the likes. And it's not about that. It's truly, are you happy within yourself? Do you have your circle of friends who care about you? Do you have your family that cares about you? Great. Then you're doing more than probably the next person. It's not, I have to top them. I have to be better than them. Mm -hmm. And it really took my friends to like pull me aside and say, Courtney, you need to find happiness in yourself because the way that you're going down right now, this isn't who I would even want around me. And I'm like, I wouldn't want this person around me either. (laughs) That's so, that's wonderful. That's actually my biggest message for the confidence column. The, the, the site that I, I write for is that there's so much externally that we try to compare ourselves to running the race, getting to this this, this line of success, being this kind of person, being in this kind of relationship. And we spend so much time externally trying to figure out like, well, what is it that I don't have that someone else has that I need to have so that I can feel what I think that they feel. We have no idea what these people feel. Yeah. We just make these stories yeah. up about it, right? <laughs> so yeah. many stories. So many stories. And it's like, if you just take a second to realize that like the fact that you don't know that story, you also don't know that journey that you have your own story and your own journey to be living that like really when you start 
coming back in and recognizing that there's stuff inside of you that can be so beautiful and to flourish. Yes. And if you just gave it a little bit of time and attention, that um, there's no need to be comparing or judging or feeling like you're suffering from imposter syndrome. You're not good enough because you're not in whatever place you think you're supposed to be in right now. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so wonderful that you had friends who were able to be honest and truthful with you. It's again, circling back around to that, to that sisterhood, that healthy friendship relationship and open communication. I think that um, me personally, I've been lucky enough to also have that in my life where people can call me out or tell me the truth and where I can do the same and we can kind of go back and forth and it gets to be a beautiful part of our relationship rather than me dodging phone calls or text messages or somewhere <laughs> I don't know how to talk to my friends you know it's great so okay you work in oncology rehab um, I'm gonna be honest with you I don't know too much about it and I, I want to make sure that that myself as well as our listeners yes. are informed of course so can you tell us a little bit about what that is and I also would love to hear about how you found your way into this particular type of work of course. So oncology rehab is cancer-based and it focuses on people that are either going through a post-surgery or a pre-surgery where they are meeting with a physical therapist, occupational therapist, or a speech therapist. And of course, physical therapy would focus more on like not just yoga and Pilates, but more of like stretching or movements of the body. If a, if a female or a male has breast cancer and they have to get that, of course, that lump removed and the lumpectomy or a mastectomy. So, um, and then of course it's other things of that as well. We have pelvic for ovarian or pelvic dysfunction and occupational therapy as well for head and neck because a lot of people have a lot of strain in head and neck from computer typing or just in general, they have like, you know, tonsil cancer or anything of that nature in the neck or in the throat. And then um, speech therapy for cognitive because they're finding now that people who are going through chemotherapy are suffering with cognitive, you know, memory loss and such as even short-term and long-term memory. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, of course, sad, of course, there's chemo and radiation and whatnot. It, it does different things to the body and to the mind. Mm -hmm. And we're able to go ahead and help patients who are going through vertigo or chemotoxin. And it's very cool because the reason why I found this job was actually I lived in North Carolina and I wanted to move out here to claim residency to transition into that. Um, and I wanted to move out here to claim residency to get into then grad school at the time. I had, you know, once again, this is why I speak about words of affirmation. I told my mother I was going to move out here. I said, I have to do it. I need it. I need yes. it. Yes. So I moved out here and I said, I'm going to claim residency. Got all that stuff situated. And I said, I'm going to apply for grad school. I'm going to apply to grad school. And when I submitted my application, I said, I will be in grad school. I am a grad student, a grad student. I am a public health master student at CU Anschutz. And I submitted my application in January, February, I found out. And I said, okay, I hope I got in state tuition. I hope I got in state tuition because <laughs> the whole reason why I moved out here was to get claim residency, get this job, get in state tuition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I submitted the verification and I got in state tuition. And I literally manifest this from April. I will never forget April 29th, 2019. I moved out here, got a job on a whim, moved out here, started the job May 6, 2019. Transitioning to now, I am a grad student now as of September 30th, 2020. That is so and freaking <laughs> rad. <laughs> 
I love manifestation. Manifestation. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. And I know how important it is to have those moments where you truly believe in yourself and the path that you're walking. And that is, well, mental health, obviously, physical health, but it's it's like confidence at its finest to say, this yeah. is what I want and this is where I'm going and nothing's going to stop me till I get there. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. So um, you're in grad school, you're studying global community and behavioral health. Tell me a little bit about, well, one, why did you choose this? And um, two, how's it going? I know it's, it's your, yes. still, your first year. Is it first year still? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. First, first year, first semester. <laughs> first year, first semester. Um, so honestly, community is very important to me. And our behavior, it starts with our education and it starts with our our lack of education or our background and being knowledgeable on a certain topic. Mm -hmm. But really what I hone in on is just food disparity and also homelessness and especially in the black community and mental health. So mm -hmm. those are two, and those are three important topics, food, food disparity, as well as homelessness, but also education for our community to better have better access to care and better access to doctors mm -hmm. and and health, health and wealth, health and wealth. Mm -hmm. If you are healthy, if you are moving in the right direction, if you are empowering, educating yourself, and spidering that off into other community sectors, that's how we will be able to gain and start standing and climbing up this this ladder that has been placed in our lives and in our and in our low income communities and black community, black and brown communities. Yeah. And it's important to me because if we don't build our generation, the, these younger children to tell them they are great, they are brilliant, they are smart, they are empowered. Mm -hmm. How are they going to come and tackle a world that wasn't maybe made for them in the get go? It's like, we have to, we, even including myself, I have to make sections for myself to be seen and heard mm -hmm. and imagine and imagine them. If I don't make a, somewhat of a path for them. I hope that they can make a path for the rest of us. So I want to instill that in them. I want to instill th that greatness and that love in them because they are important and they are so valued. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, honestly, I've been learning so much this year. Um, but the one thing, the one message that's really stuck to me in everything that we've been doing, every movement that we've been in, every, every charge that we've been called to is that it's, it's so generational, right? Like there's no magic wand, there's no flip this switch. It really is, we have to create the path, create the space, and then show other, especially our black children, that they can come and occupy that space and not only occupy it, but also encourage them to be, to, to lead that space. I was, I was on a march last um, week and there was a woman there that didn't know one of the chants and there, there was this, this, um, there was this teenager in the back. I loved it so much. And she goes, the chant goes, uh, when black people are under attack, what do we do? Stand up, fight back. And then she was waiting for the woman to say it back to her. And then she was like, I think you need to just come and take the mic. And she was so nervous. It's like a little teenager, but then they gave her the mic and she was like, when black people, like she like went so, so into it and then she got really nervous and gave the mic back. And the woman that she handed the mic to said, we are always, always hoping to 
open the door for, for teenagers who want leadership. We, yes. we encourage leadership skills here. And I just remember standing there watching with like little chills. <laughs> I think that many of us grew up being, being in um, households where it was like children are, are not seen, not heard, go away, mm -hmm. go to something else, right? Yeah. And now we're asking them to step up and kind of be a part of things and have leadership roles and, and to make spaces and occupy spaces. And they're like, wait, what? Like, not really what I, I have. A, I have a voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's so beautiful. I love that this is something that you're passionate about because I, my degrees are in communicate, uh, health communication. Yes. So I'm very passionate about these things as well. And it really does make me feel good to see that other black women care about these kinds of things, not only for themselves, but for their communities as well. It's definitely much needed. And I see in my own experience with my own companies that there are more and more women of color who are seeing how important these things are and really also wanting to dive deep into them. Um, so let's, let's take a beat here. And I wanted to, if you wanna talk about the three things that you mentioned, homelessness, homelessness, food disparity, and of course, education that helps people access, access to education, those kinds of things. Um, if you want to just, I'll give you, I'll of give course. you the mic and you can chat about them. <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, you know, I'm no expert. I'm just an onlooker. And seeing as right now we're in a huge eviction process right now, evictions have officially started in the end of August, beginning of September. So now a month plus of people being evicted from their homes and families, young children, and the homelessness in Colorado, at least from what I'm seeing in our backyards has gotten very high. I mean, we have a homeless family that's staying right here in the back of a park, right? So literally right by my apartment home. And in Colorado, downtown Denver, for example, there are tents. And, you know, although this is a sanctioned state, I'm seeing homelessness is not going to get better until we take initiative and action and create affordable housing, mm -hmm. something that is very important. If you want to keep minimum wage low, you know, people want to keep minimum wage low, then lower the cost of housing. Right. If you want to, because last time I checked, if minimum wage in, in this state is, you know, 12, 13, mm -hmm. but in other places like North Carolina, it's, it's eight. Right. It's eight. So it's not, it's not unanimously the same in our nation. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad because so many people are now losing their jobs as well due to COVID and we're being laid off due to COVID because their jobs can no longer sustain their employment, their employers and their employee staff. Yeah. And then that transitioned into food insecurity because now with that being said, a lot of people are more eating convenient food such as fast food chains because that's cheaper mm -hmm. versus going to the grocery store if there is one in their community, mm -hmm. which talks about access to food sources, <laughs> but mm -hmm. food community, food sources, yeah. because they're going to spend, you know, $5 at McDonald's can go a long way versus $5 in the grocery store. Right. And, or people, even in addition to food insecurity, they're wondering where are they going to get their next meal? Mm -hmm. So not only are they maybe having a breakfast and a lunch, but their dinner is no longer, they don't know they're that's questionable. It's right. uncertain. Mm -hmm. And, which leads into then education because better education can hopefully, I put on quotes on there, big quotes, because <laughs> better, educa better education should lead you to having a sustained home and, in a, and a sustained environment for yourself. Uh -huh. But that does not necessarily mean that. Right. You're seeing 
many college students come out of college with their undergraduate bachelor's degree or their master's and looking for jobs right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, once again, I hope that we can change some of the behaviors and the implicit bias and the stigma in the black and brown communities because black and brown people are, if not more educated, if not educated in a whole, in an umbrella hole in a community, compared to other races, if not even, let's not even compare. They're the same level of education, the same knowledge, and they're being overlooked for a job based off their name. Mm-hmm. Right. Based off of perhaps their demographic, you know, mm-hmm. or, or lack thereof. And, and sometimes you don't even know what the color of the person's skin is. They can get all the way up to the phone interview, pass it, pass it, pass it. And now everything's Zoom. So Zoom interview. Yeah. And get knocked out of that competition or that job ranking because their name did not fit the color of their skin. Yeah. And, yeah. and it just, there's so many different tiers in public health. And I'm just touching on very, I'm touching on a level of the first layer of skin here, yeah. but I'm hoping that one day my voice can be heard in other communities and, and around the world, really. The changes need to occur now because if they don't occur soon, there will be a lot of consequences in companies, in living situations, in our entire nation, because as homeless goes up, crime goes up. Mm-hmm. Because last time I checked, it was about Darwinism, survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. We all need to eat. And when people get hungry, things happen in order to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And circling back to education, we can only educate ourselves so much, but if we keep putting ourselves in so much debt only to not get a job, the cycle continues. The cycle really always keeps continuing and the generational trauma keeps continuing. It's an, it's a forever evolving, big, big circle. I keep seeing this, you know, the rubber bands where you keep adding a rubber band, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what I'm seeing right now. When I talk about this, like I just added another rubber band. I added another one on the other side. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this idea of education really hit me hard when I was getting my own education and realizing that you know, one of my favorite classes in college was um, cultural communication, cultural health communication, because it talked a lot, not only about different types of traditions, you know, like within the hospital, within patient provider communication and how a lot of the times American provi- uh, healthcare providers butt heads with different cultural um, requests or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that that happens with different cultures. But, um, I just remember thinking that like how uneducated we were as Americans to the fact that there are so many other different types of healthcare or health practices that different cultures have. And that we haven't even, I was, I was actually the first graduating class of the healthcom degree at SDSU. Uh, so I didn't really have anybody else before me to help me understand. There were no papers, there were no anything. It was, it was really interesting. But that to me was such a red flag also that like at that point I graduated in t- um, 2005 with my bachelor's and I just was like, how is it that we've gotten this far? And this is like the first graduating class of this entire curriculum. Um, and it just really showed how, how much we were missing. We're really missing this in the healthcare field, um, this cultural understanding and this cultural um, inclusion. And that education piece, I also bring that back to, um, you know, 
how people, and, and it's all connected, right? So how people use money to get food, to get the, the, the food that they need or the nutrients that they need, but those things don't line up. And also it's what, I wish they would have taught us this in high school, right? How do you take the money that you have and find nutritious food in the grocery store? Like that wasn't something that I was taught growing up. We went shopping for what was on sale. It was a lot of canned stuff. So it stayed, stayed good a lot of the time. Yeah. And like, no, like there was no one really to like teach us that like what we were eating was bad and it was like, whatever. And as I got older, I was like, wait, what? Wait, nutrient? Wait, there's, wait, huh? I can't eat like this every day. Uh, How much sodium? Like, whoa. <laughs> uh, and what does sodium do? <laughs> Ew, it makes you what? Hypertension? What's right. a hyper? Who's tension? Like, tension. Uh, right. <laughs> and then, you know, you just kind of accept this idea. And this is, and this may be a little bit deeper than we need to go. But I think that because, you know, com Black communities and communities of color don't know that stuff, then they eat stuff that doesn't make them feel good. And they live in this like homeostasis of not feeling good. And then they have to go out into the world that doesn't treat them well. And so it's like, now they're just constantly like internally feeling bad, externally being treated badly. And it's just like, where, where do we go to get healthy? And like, where do we go to learn how to be healthy? And how do we find spaces that accept us and love us and support us so that we can have this external healthy exactly. energy and surrounding? That's important. I, I do agree with that. It's inclusion. And, and right now it's, it's so many things of exclusion happening mm -hmm. and implicit bias, even in the medical realm. I was reading an article that says that they're now testing doctors, asking them if they believe that black people don't experience high tolerance of pain or have, they have a high tolerance of pain. I read and that. Yeah. I was like, what? Cause let me tell you, I got a paper cut. I'm falling out. Like I, I, I I stumped my toe. You would have thought that the whole house fell on me. I, <laughs> I don't deal well with pain. I don't. I don't deal well with it. And, and even it's my not, cousin. it's not a race thing. No. Like, why are you even bringing no. race into it? It's not a race no. thing. It's not, not a race thing. So silly. People go through pain, whether I'm polka dotted, striped, pink, you know, I mean, who cares? A leaf. A leaf goes through pain. Yes. So, I mean. I was you know, so in I lived for many years in San Diego and I remember part of what I was teaching myself outside of my doula program was how to communicate against that in the hospital if like people weren't giving my black patients or my patients of color the same treatment that they would treat my my white patients um, or my white clients and I really part that was actually part of like my doula certification I was like this is like a whole new on the on the side thing that I'm about to put into my certification because it's it's uh, me as, as a doula you literally are there to like observe you can't speak for your your client you're just there to like empower them and so I literally was like I'm watching this go down as an outside observer and I just want to be cognizant of it because it's, I mean, it's obviously something that's been reported about, but like, I'm going to do it like so much more in my own education. Um, and it was really kind of heartbreaking to see. And it was also heartbreaking to see how many of the doctors and nurses wouldn't listen to me or allow me to like help my client because I'm black, you know, black woman in the room. So. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I, I would have to shoot myself up with an epidural then. I'd have to learn quickly because <laughs> I don't deal well with pain. <laughs> I don't do it. I don't do you know, it. Everybody's so different, but I think it's the way that they treated the clients, not the way that the client was reacting. And that was what I think, like there were these, um, there were these assumptions. There were these, these yep. laid out assumptions and it was like, my job really is only to go in there and let my client know that whatever they tell them that they can always ask a question about it right like yes. obviously very serious situations you you tend to trust your doctor but if it's something that like you really you know you want to know if there's another option you're always allowed to ask if there's another option if someone comes in and says we're doing this it's okay for you as a client in any hospital room to say is there another option before you tell me what we're doing right like I want to know the full scope of, of what my options are, not just you telling me what to do. Yeah. If that is the only option, I would like to know that that's the only option, but also I don't need you making decisions for me and my body. Um, yeah. That's a whole, I mean, it's kind of on topic, but it's a whole nother road we could go. Well, down. it's, it's important. That's why once again, building our next generation to put more black and brown people such as doctors, OBGYN, specialty care into the hospital. Mm -hmm. I would feel more trustworthy to know that I have a person that looks like me that I can trust than a person that perhaps I tell them in pain and they tell me, oh, go home and call your OBGYN tomorrow. You'll be all right. It's like, uh, what? I said I'm in pain. I said my leg hurts. I said yeah. my stomach hurts, but go home and sleep. Thanks. <laughs> I, one of my favorite, um, I can't remember the comedian. His last name was Bell. He's a black comedian. And he was talking about how his daughter watches Dr. McStuffins, which is like a little black yeah. girl whose black mother is a doctor. And she like mm -hmm. is doctor to all of her. I've never seen it, but I, it sounds amazing. My, my nieces love this show. It is such a cute show. <laughs> I love, I love Dr. McStuffins actually. And he was saying that he, they, they took her to the hospital and she was like all excited to go because she was like, she was thinking that the doctor that would come in was going to be a black woman. So she was like, I'm yeah. the doctor, I'm the doctor. <laughs> the doctor walked in and it was an old white man. And she all of a sudden like closed up and was like, what is this? It's my black female doctor. <laughs> she was so upset. But I love that the fact that like that show is having that influence on black on, on little black girls where they're like, I'm sorry, I would rather have a black female doctor in here. Is there one? Can you go get her? <laughs> yeah, like, I think I'm missing something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she had she's she had the little voice on her to be like, I don't like this. This is not yeah, what I signed up for doctor today. <laughs> like she was duped. Um so beautiful. So I want to talk, like our, our main topic today, I know we've talked about a lot of things, but the representation of healthy um, Black people and making sure that that reaches our children. Um, let's talk about the Big Sisters program because yes. um, I've always been interested in it. I've actually been thinking about doing CASA for a long while, um, but I would love to hear, you know, how long have you been doing it? Did you do it yeah. um, not only in Colorado, but where you moved from? I can't remember. Right yeah, now. North Carolina. So um, back in North Carolina, actually, I worked with young adolescents. So they were young teens where I actually taught them about actually educated them and empowered them about overcoming adversity and how to overcome peer pressure and the importance of setting short term, intermediate and long term goals. Awesome. Because in 
especially growing up, most children are just looking at the, the then and now, like when they're in school, but it's like, okay, beyond school, what do you want to be when you grow up? What makes you happy? What's something that you want to continue to make yourself happy? And where do you self, where do you see yourself going in five, being in five years from now and challenging the boundaries that you, that have been sort of set in your, for your age group that you're not supposed to think beyond today. So moving here to Colorado, I was like, ah, I still want to do this. I really enjoy doing this. I did this for, I did that for four years. Awesome. Working with Cabarrus Health Alliance for four years, teaching a trail, to, and, and trail stood for taking responsible actions in life, and that's what I taught those young kids. So it was really cool to just to just do something like that and say. And there were there was one that sort of activity that was like step to the line. It's like step to the line if you've ever been bullied before and you had a line and you would step to. And so children, and I should say young adolescents, not just children, but they were able to see, wow, I'm not the only one facing these challenges. There's others around me facing these challenges or step to the line if one of your, if anybody in your family has ever been arrested. And it's just to know like, you are not alone. We might walk the same and be in the same room. We might walk the same path in life, but your struggles, we might have the similarity and struggles. So it was very cool to do that which made me want to transition out here in Colorado and big brother, big sister. And it's being a mentor, more individual. So I was, and now I'm a mentor to a young nine-year-old girl and we do outings or we paint, we color, we make slime with each other. And, you know, she asked me just, you know, it's just being that mentor and that voice of, oh, Courtney, what are you doing with this? Or you want, do you mind helping me with this homework assignment? And she's literally like a little sister to me. And doing this makes me feel like I am empowering her and letting her know, like, there is something more and bigger and better. You keep excelling and you reach for the stars because nobody can tell you that you can't reach. Yeah. You continue to reach and you will be great. And you are smart. You are intelligent. You are beautiful. Your brown skin is beautiful. And um, so it's really awesome to do. And it's awesome to give back, not only just here in Colorado, but wherever I live. I believe that wherever I live, I want to find an organization where I can give back, where I know that even if it's a tiny difference, even if it's a tiny difference, I know that I made an imprint on someone's life and I made a change for someone's life so that they can take that on to their life and to their children and so on and so forth. Yes, I love that. So wonderful. All right, do you just have one little... Yeah, I have one little, and I've been doing it since uh, February, actually. Um, the process with COVID and everything, we've been having to, you know, do just video chats, but it's amazing, and I hang out with her now twice a month. Twice a month, that's awesome. Yeah. And then will you stay, how long will you stay with her? So it's a 15-month, it's a 15-month mentorship, so you can continue to do it as much as you want, but you are, you are with them up to for 15 months with the same person paired with them for 15 months. Awesome. And then are they paired with someone else? Are you guys, are you, you each paired with someone else? If, if I decide not to continue with her, I believe that she would go on and be paired with somebody else. But typically once you make that bond with the child, it's kind of like, you don't want to be like, all right, 15 months is up. Bye. You know, right. so you want to try, <laughs> you want to try to, of course, continue with them now, you know, if they don't really get along with you or it's a, then, you know, it's a whole different process, but mm -hmm. I hope that I'm going to be with her at least until she's like in high school, you know, when they get to high school and then they, you know, I'm not cool anymore. I'm yeah. Not, right. I'm old, I'm old grandma. Cece, yeah. <laughs> Where's your walker at, Cece? Like, she'll be talking to me like that, and I'll be like, oh, excuse me, I don't need a walker. So. <laughs> has she, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to ask you anything, like, super personal, but has she asked you specifically any questions about being a Black woman? 
Yes, she has, of course, her and, you know, her mother is black. So her mom had to sit down with them and, and go over what happened with George Floyd. And even recently what happened with the family that was pulled over at Buckley and Iliff here in, in Aurora, Colorado. Mm -hmm. So and the little girl that was put on the ground was like seven, six or seven years old, which my little that I have is nine. Yeah. So it definitely made her feel uneasy. And she asked me, she's like, you know, Courtney, is this how it's always going to be? Am I always going to feel like I'm not valued? And I was like, I was like, first of all, don't ever say a statement like that. You are important and you are valued. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, media and people in our world may think differently, but it's, it's upon us and upon everyone else to educate them and show them that we are important and our voices and who we are matter. We are human too. Yeah. And that's what I told her. And she just gave me a hug and she's like, you're right. You know, I just, it just scares me. You know, I don't want to ever feel like this. And I'm like, this is the, this is generational trauma here. Yes. <laughs> this is real. This is real. These children fear this and they think this and it carries with them into their sleep, into their chest, into their anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, or even depression, lack thereof. Yeah. For those so, of you who are um, wondering the situation that we're talking about out here, I believe it was about four or five weeks ago. Um, there was a family in Aurora, Colorado that was uh, pulled over. It was a mother who had her niece, I believe, and three of her young children in the car. Uh, the cops pulled them over into a parking lot and handcuffed all of them to the ground, including the youngest, which I think was five or something like that. Five or, yeah, five or six. Five or six. Um, handcuffed them all to the hot pavement face down. And it turned out that the cops were actually looking for a black man on a motorcycle. Um, the family has since made a statement about it. And, and this has been, I mean, this isn't even generational trauma. This is their lifetime trauma. This is something that this six-year-old now, um, the reports from the parents were that they're having a really hard time sleeping. They don't ever want to get in the car. They don't ever want to go outside. They definitely like duck down in the car when they see police, when they are in the car, like it's, it's traumatized them from such a young age. And then we wonder why our youth is, is scared or nervous or acting suspicious, you know, those kinds of things. It's like, we had that game growing up where it was like, there are the cops, don't act suspicious. And then it's like, obviously you're acting suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> but with my, my brother and I started playing that before we were even in middle school. Like we, it was, it was, it was a game quote unquote, but I think it was actually like a lesson that we were being taught. Like we're going to turn it into a game and hopefully you guys can have a little fun with it. But when we actually learned that it was like, no, really, don't be suspicious. Around yeah, <laughs> don't be suspicious. Yeah, any second, if they think that any weird thing is happening, you know, any anything could happen. So, um, you know, I watched the interview that the parents did um, in, in Aurora after it was um, circulated, the video of the, the video and the photos of the mom and the children all hand, handcuffed to the ground for a traffic stop. And they were even, they were looking for a motorcycle. It was just heartbreaking. But I did watch the with, with Montana license plates. That's yeah. what the kicker was. Oh, the the motorcycle. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it just you know people wonder why we're fearful. It's because we can't trust. There's no trust there anymore at all. And with everything that's going on in the city, everything that happened with Brianna, everything that's happening with Elijah in our city right now, it's just like 
what what do you expect us to like do you know yeah and i and i think the thing that that hits me hardest the most is that you know our children talking about representation you know like our children they're sponges it doesn't matter how old it doesn't matter what race it doesn't matter what culture culture they're they're raised in there are such sponges and it's been really hard to um, you know, first of all, be a black woman and all of this going on. And I'm, I'm doing, we're all doing our best. Right. But then I don't have children. So when I stop to think about the children, I'm even, I'm, I'm more distraught than I am just thinking about being a black woman. I'm like, and then our kids, yeah. you know, so I'm really happy that we could talk about this today because it's something that, I mean, health has always been really important to me. It's what I studied. But I also think that like our children getting the opportunity to see that our world is not always against them, that there are those of us in this world that are attempting to do good things and bring good change, um, especially our, our young black girls that, you know, I don't have anything against like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and like all this stuff, right? But I really want, I'm like, go ahead. But I also yeah. really don't want that to be the only thing that black girls see as being like empowering or positive or um, that can get you praise or attention. Like there's so many different doors that, um, you know, we've been, we've been trying to open those doors. There were black women before us that helped us open some doors. We're opening other doors for you too. And that they understand that like, we're strong, we're beautiful. Our hair is amazing that like, we are just as, as, as able-bodied, intelligent, smart, funny, all the things as any other woman on the planet, and that we yes. deserve to have good things happening with us too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just even words of affirmation that I do say for anyone that wants to sometimes say it or change it up, you know, use these. I am smart. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm -hmm. I am intelligent. I am kind. I am wealthy. And I am a strong, beautiful black woman, or I am a strong, beautiful woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, I love it. This chat meant so much to me, Courtney. Thank you so much for, for being on and wanting to talk about it. And it makes me feel, um, I don't even know what the word is. I guess like excited. Like I just feel, I get so full of like joy and hope and like excitement when I meet other black women where like, uh, health is so important to them and being a healthy representation of, of, of a black woman is important to them because it just, it's like one of those things that like warms me up inside from every, yeah. every cell of me. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that I enlightened somebody's world and <laughs> hopefully you guys enjoyed this chat with us. Yes. And for those of you who wanted to watch with us live, I'm so sorry. Courtney and I tried. We were having technical difficulties and we decided just to go on with our with our interview. But uh, I will post up the replays um, as, as soon as I can so that you can get to watching it. Um, next week, I'm going to be chatting on my own. You'll get Amber Rose and Amber Rose alone. I'm going to come on and talk a little bit about being biracial and how that has characterize me as not black but black if you get what i'm saying uh, i will see you all here next wednesday at 5 p.m and thank you so much for joining us today